This morning, we are going to continue in our study in Romans, but uh, I got to tell you, I got a lot of material, and I'm trying to see if I I think I can fit it all in by two (laughs) o'clock. There's some visitors here that are like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, man. Over the last two weeks, uh, we took a break in our study from Romans, of course. We had the church picnic last week and then Father's Day the week before. And so uh, this week, I, man, I'm excited because we're going to continue. in our. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. One of my favorite chapters is Romans chapter 7. It's one of my favorite uh, favorites to preach as well as just to read for myself. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Before we get started, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the words of Paul that are given to us. Lord, I pray this morning that each heart would be open to, your, to hearing your presence, to hearing your words. Lord, that they would be your words and not mine. Lord, that they would be your thoughts and not mine. Lord, let me be an empty vessel this morning and just pour your presence out of me. Lord, I thank you for letting me be the mouthpiece in this place. Lord, that they would have ears to hear this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our last study, how many remember uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago it would be now, uh, we talked about being slaves to sin and slaves to righteousness. So remember the chains that I had? Steve, you remember those chains, Dale? Where's Dale? Dale, they're your chains. They weren't your chains of sin or anything like that. They were, they were, they were dirty, nasty, heavy chains. And they were wrapped around me as somebody, some people would remember that. But thank God that when I accepted Christ, I was no longer a slave to sin. Amen. Amen. When we accepted Christ, we're no longer a slave to sin, but we become slaves to righteousness. You say, Pastor David, that, that doesn't sound, I mean, you're going, one way or another, you're serving a master. One way or another, you're serving the world or you're serving God. And so what we're doing here is we're talking about what it means to be a slave to sin and then a slave to righteousness. When I dropped the, dropped the, the, the chains of sin, I got to, I got to pick up the lighter and cleaner chains of righteousness. I'll say this, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and you'll probably hear me keep saying it. If you have truly accepted Christ as your Savior, you are not called a sinner saved by grace. That is not your title anymore. In fact, the title of sinner is removed from you because now you're viewed through the the blood of Christ. Amen? We're viewed as righteous. You have a title of righteous this morning if you've truly accepted Christ as your Savior. What does it mean to be righteous? Anybody? Come on. To be in right standing with God. If we're in right standing with God, we don't have the title of sinner anymore. We have the title of righteous. And it's not because of what we did or because of what you did, but because of what He did at the cross. And this is where we pick up in Romans chapter 7. This is where we pick up. Paul begins this portion of the letter to the Romans by speaking to those who lived and believed that they were righteous because of the law. He says this in Romans 1, chapter 7, 1 through 3. It says this, 
Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. He's speaking to the Jewish people. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So she is no longer an adulteress, though she has married another man. Now, uh, Paul begins with what should be a relatable analogy. It's the relatable analogy of marriage. As long as we are living, we are under the law just like a woman was bound to her husband as long as he was living. As long as we're living, we are bound to the law. Listen to this carefully. I want to, we're going to get really deep into this. It's going to, it's going to maybe get a little bit convoluted, but I'm going to clarify it for you. If the woman tried to live with another man, or if she tried to marry another man while her husband was alive, she would be in adultery, right? But if her husband has died, she is now free from the obligation of the law and can marry another man. Now, he's speaking in terms that are relatable to his audience. He's speaking in terms that are relatable to them, and honestly, they can be understandable for us today. Uh, Carol, you need to wait until Doug dies before you try to marry another man. Amen? Doug's like, amen. <laughs> the lesson here is not about marriage obligations. Just so you know, the, 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 I mean, it talks about kind of this kind of the law of what it is, but it's not about marriage obligations. It's about the concept of us being free from the law. It's about the concept. Up until now, we have seen in Romans that Paul tells us all the way up to now that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. Amen. How many? How many are glad that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace? It says this in Romans uh, seven verse four. Go to the next one. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead through the law, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That we should bear fruit to God. While we were living in our sinful past, we were under the law. While we were living, we were under the law, but... When you accepted Christ, when you chose to embrace Christ, you chose to embrace his death and therefore die with him in order that we may rise again to new life with the resurrected Savior. Amen? We choose to die with Christ. We choose to put our sins to death. We choose to die. Now being freed from the law, and now we are bound to, we are married to, Christ. Now, uh, <laughs> to look at it this way means that when you were in your sin, you were married to that sin. When you were in a sinful state, you were married to your sinful nature. You were bound by the law. The only fruit that you could produce was deadly fruit. The only fruit that you could produce is deadly fruit. But now, we are able to produce godly fruit. 
Because the Bible says we are married to Christ and are bound to grace so that we can bear the fruit to God. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, some people will know what I'm talking about. I was uh, telling uh, an older, widowed lady about how nice they looked. And uh, I jokingly, thank you so much, Mike, was I sweating over you, buddy? <laughs> I was telling this uh, older, very sweet lady uh, uh, how nice she looked. And I jokingly said, are you looking for a new husband? And she, she's older, she's widowed, and, and, and I said, uh, I, just, uh, I said that and I asked if she was looking for a husband or looking for a date or something like that. And she said that she was married to Jesus. <laughs> she said, well, I'm married to Jesus. And I jokingly kind of ribbed her about saying that. I kind of, oh, come on. I haven't even heard somebody say, I'm married to Jesus. Or, or if you're dating, here, here's a favorite one. Uh, if you're dating, if you're, if you're in the dating game, and uh, maybe a shy teenage boy comes up to a girl and says, uh, excuse me, would you, would you go out with me? And she says, oh, I'm dating Jesus. It happens, people. Not from personal experience. But it does happen. So it's kind of funny when you hear somebody's. It sounds a bit strange to say I'm married to Jesus today, right? It sounds, in reality, I, I got to say, in reality, there's a great truth to it. In reality, there is a great truth to it being connected to and bound, married to my Savior. It may sound strange in today's culture, and it may be hard for people to relate to it, but it doesn't take away from the truth of it. So because here's the thing, this isn't in reference to like a physical relationship of marriage. This isn't in relationship to a physical relationship of marriage, of course not. But the analogy is of how connected we are to Christ in salvation. How connected to you are to how connected are you to Christ? How many are married? How many know you can be very connected to your spouse or very disconnected from your spouse? Right? How many know? We're talking about how connected. This was, Whoa, I just dropped that. My hands are sweating. Drop the mic. That was not a drop the mic moment, Joan. That was funny. This is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about our relationship with Christ. How connected are we? And then he says this, verse 5. He says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Remember that fruit I was talking about? That's deadly fruit. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of of the letter. The oldness of the letter is the letter of the law. There's an interesting way that Paul speaks about our sinful nature. He says that its passions were aroused or awakened by the law. While we were sinners, we might serve. How many know sinners that serve? I do. There's people who are not Christians 
who serve. There's people who don't give them, haven't given them their lives to the Lord, and yet they serve. They give to charities. They, they do good things, right? But they only do it as an obligation to the letter. An obligation to the old letter. Well, this is what I'm expected to do. This is what's anticipated of me. This is what my obligation is. And so now I serve. Pretty soon the joy is gone, but they still serve out of that obligation. The only fruit that they're bearing is deadly fruit. The only fruit they're bearing is deadly fruit. But being alive now in Christ, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. I like that. How many here want to be able to serve in the newness of the Spirit? I want to. Not out of obligation, but the opportunity to minister God's love to others. Amen? There should be joy in our service to God. The only fruit born from the law was deadly fruit. Now, it brings up a question. If the only fruit born from the law was deadly fruit, is the law sin? Is the law bad? Is the law wrong? Paul addresses this in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Paul says, of course not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. David Guzik says it this way. He says, the law is like an x-ray machine. It reveals plainly what might have always been there, but was hidden before. You can't blame an x-ray for what it exposes. The law was like an x-ray machine. It exposed our sin. It let us know. It exposed to us what was forbidden by God. Now, I want to speak to you about this in, in today's terms. So let's speak about this in today's terms. I want to tell you a story about a young family. The young family had just moved to Iowa. This is not a specific family, by the way. But let's just say they moved here a little over three years ago. And the father is a pastor at a local church. It's not a specific... No, 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 no. Yeah, okay, it's me. All right. The story's about me. Uh, we, had, we had been here just a short time, and we needed to go to Spencer to get drapes, or drapes or window coverings or something like that. And so we hopped in the car and went to Spencer, and we went to Menards and got what we had to get. And on the way back... Now, I was driving about 65 miles an hour. On the way back, I was driving about 65 miles an hour, and I saw a police officer, and I waved at him. <laughs> All right, Sue. I saw a police officer, and I waved at him. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything of it. I got pulled over and was made aware of an Iowa law that I did not know before. I was driving, I'm 65 miles an hour. I see the cop, hey, how you doing? Woo, oh, oh no, what's going on? Iowa law says that if, if there's no posted speed limit, the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. I did not know that. I didn't know it before then, but I sure know it now. Right? Without knowing the law, I had no idea that I was breaking the law. 
Without knowing the law, I had no idea I was breaking the law. That's what Paul is talking about here. Until I came to know the law, the law showed me what was sinful. The law showed me. I didn't know about covetousness until the law said you shall not covet. This is what Paul is talking about. There wasn't this internal compass in him telling him that coveting was sin until the law revealed it to him. And here is what happened. Here's what happened when you're made aware that something is sinful. Go to the next slide. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. What is Paul saying there? That once I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, that's when it became a temptation. Once I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, that's when it became a temptation. It says, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment for which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy on the commandment, holy and just and good. Now, how many know that once you find out something is wrong, sometimes it becomes more enticing to do it? You bunch of perfect people. Once you, once you know, I mean, this, this is the, it becomes more of a temptation. Well, it's not just me this morning. I know it's not just me this morning. The commandment of the law was brought to life, but for Paul, it brought death. It was brought for life, but for Paul, it brought death. Knowing that it was wrong, it increased his desire to do it. How many times being told, don't do that? Don't do that. Don't you, don't you drink that. Come on. Don't you say that. Don't you go there. And you go, oh, what's over there? What's over there that I can't go to? Don't you look at that? Well, why not? Don't you drink that? Well, why? What's the, what's the big deal? Why not? What's happened? It said this. It said that during Prohibition in America, drinking became more attractive to people because it was now forbidden. Don't go there. What's in there? What's in there that they don't want me to see? What's in there that they don't want me to see? I like what this commentary says. It says this. Once God draws a boundary for us, we are immediately enticed to cross that boundary. Which is no fault of God, nor of His boundary. It's the fault of our hearts. It's the fault of our sinful hearts. A waterfall, a waterfront hotel in Florida was concerned that people might try to fish from the balconies. They were uh, on the beach, and they thought people would fish from the balcony. So they put up signs saying, no fishing from the balcony. Here's the problem. They had constant problems with people fishing from the balcony. There was lines and sinker weights and they were breaking windows and they were bothering people as, as they were casting from the balcony. Right? You want to know how they solved the problem? They took the signs down. They took the signs down. Because of our hearts, the law can actually work like an invitation to sin. 
Because of our hearts, the law can actually... No, nobody thought to fish from the balconies until somebody put up a sign that said, no fishing from the balconies. Nobody thought to. This was the state we were chained to before we came to Christ. This was the state that we were chained to. It shows how great the evil of sin is. It takes something that's good and holy like the law and twists it to promote evil. That's what sin does. Sin warps love into lust. It warps an honest desire into greed. It it moves the law into a promoter of sin. You see, it's the state of sinners. That's the state of sinners. It shouldn't be our state as Christians. It shouldn't be our state as Christians. When Paul says he was alive without the law, he says, that, he says, I was alive once without the law. He is stating that in his ignorance, he believed everything was fine in his life. I like a one, exam, uh, one example that a commentary gave was like a man who had built his house on a volcano. Just in his ignorance, he just thought everything was okay. Everything was okay. But it doesn't excuse the sin. It doesn't make his sin less repugnant. It deceived Paul into believing that he had an adequate excuse. Well, I didn't know that it was wrong. How many ever had that excuse before? I sure have. (laughs) Chloe just raised her hand. I didn't know that was wrong. That used to be my favorite excuse. I thought that that would get me out of so many jams. No, it does not. I was a kid and my dad would say, you broke a window. I didn't know that was wrong. You beat up your brother. Nobody told me that was wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Mike's sitting there kind of confused. But there's some things that you just know are wrong, Right? There was a, a guy that said, uh, he said, you know, if we look at traffic signs, it's because it's how, that's how we know what the law is. That's how we know if we're speeding. That's how we know if we, when we need to stop, when we need to yield. You can't just run people over in the road and go, there wasn't a sign. There's no sign there. So I can, I mean, no, the law is there, but just because saying I didn't know it was wrong is no defense. It's still sin. It's still sin. Paul says that it deceived and killed him. But the law is holy and the commandment is just and good because it made him aware of the sickness inside him. Verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. He was, it was producing death in him through the good of the law. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Once you know what it is wrong to do and you do it anyway, becomes exceedingly sinful. How many know what I'm talking about? There's a time where you can say, well, I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know that this was wrong. I didn't know that gossiping about my neighbors was wrong. I didn't know that, that, 
fornication, sex before marriage was wrong. I didn't know these things were wrong. There's all sorts of things you can say, I didn't know that they were wrong. But once you know that they're wrong, and you still do them, it becomes exceedingly sinful. Verse 14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, this is Paul speaking. For chapter 7, up until this point, up until this point right here, Paul is referring to his self before Christ. But, now and into chapter 8, we get into the frustrating reality of being a Christian. We get into this frustrating reality that we have to deal with a fallen world we live in. And the two natures that are within us. Everybody say two natures. Say it one more time. Two natures. Paul uses the word here carnal. The word carnal is a Greek word. It's sarkikos. Say sarkikos. Sarkikos. Sue, say sarkikos. Perfect-ish. Which means characterized by the flesh. Characterized by the flesh. It speaks of the person who can and should do differently, but doesn't. It speaks of the person who can and should do differently, but doesn't. We know, how many know that once we are saved, we become justified, right? How many, what does it mean to be justified? Justified, never sin. We become righteous. But we are still becoming what's called sanctified. To be sanctified is progressive. It's the struggle between our godly nature and our flesh. It's the struggle between knowing what to do and then not doing it. We are fully aware of it because when, when we do something we know we're not supposed to, how, what happens? We feel guilty about it. We feel convicted of it, right? But we continue to go back to that unless we surrender it to God. Unless we surrender it to God. We have, we have, listen to this, we have the ability through Christ not to sin. Did you know that? When you become saved, you have the ability through Christ to not sin. But inevitably, I'm going to say, inevitably we find ourselves doing those things we're not supposed to be doing. We find ourselves thinking those things we're not supposed to be thinking. Now some people would say, well, I don't believe that you can live a sinless life. Well, Jesus did, and Jesus said you'll do things greater than me. Number one, And number two, we're not talking about living within our own power. We're talking about living under the power of Christ. Amen? Amen. So uh, it was presented to me this way once. Can you go one minute without sinning? One minute. Doug, stand up. Doug, can you go one minute without sinning? Yeah, I'll try. I mean, one minute. That's not too long, right? Start now. I just heard your thought about what you just said about me. No, no. <laughs> Sin! No. No. You can go, most people, you can go one minute without sinning. I mean, you just kind of stand there, right? You just kind of stand and stare for a minute. 
That's not really having anything to do with the power of Christ. It's just about, well, just standing this, standing here and staring. You know, I'm not really doing anything. So you're not sinning, right? When we're aware of our relationship with Christ, when we're aware of the power of Christ within us, we can move and live in this life, not just standing and staring, but we can move and live in this life and live without sin. We can live in what's called righteousness. Not because of the power within us, but because of the power of Christ. But, how many know that I fail all the time? How many people fail all the time? Just, it's messed up. It's messed up. I know I shouldn't be thinking those things, or saying those things, or doing those things. We find ourselves going back to the sin and the struggle and the hurt and the guilt and the shame. Proverbs 26, it's not on the slide, but it says this, like a dog returns to its vomit. Fools repeat their folly. Like a dog returns to its vomit. That's a pretty nasty picture, isn't it? It's, that's the nasty picture. That's the same way it is when we go back to our sin. Let me make this clear. Before Christ, we are labeled as sinners. We are titled as sinners. Of course, we just talked about this. When we truly accept Christ, we're made righteous. But it doesn't mean that we're perfected yet. It doesn't mean that we're perfected yet. We are being sanctified towards holiness. Somebody say holiness. That's a word we don't use too much in the church anymore. That's a word we might need to use more and more in the church. Holiness. Before Christ, we had no choice but to live in our sin. We had no choice but to live in our sin. We were titled sinners. After Christ, we have the ability to live without sin, but how many times we just sin anyway? You say, well, Pastor David, hold on a second. This is, this is where people get the, the term just a sinner saved by grace. Because we're saved, but we still mess up. We're a Christian, but we still mess up, right? I mean, there's no perfect people here this morning other than maybe Dale or something. Right, Dale? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Gary? Perfect? No, sir. It doesn't change our title. If you mess up in your Christian walk, if you mess up in your Christian walk, you're you're righteous, You love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your strength, but you mess up. Does that change your title? Does that change your title from righteous to sinner? The answer is no. It doesn't change your title because what was accomplished wasn't accomplished by us. It was accomplished by His blood. It was accomplished by His blood. What was accomplished was accomplished by His blood. What sin does is inhibit us from relationship with God. Sin inhibits us from relationship with God. It stops us from approaching God with purity in our lives. Now, I want to make this clear because there might be some confusion here. We do not believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. We do not believe what's called once saved, always saved, or that once you're saved, you can just do whatever you want. 
We don't believe that in this church. We, we believe, according to the Bible, that sin drives us away from God. And that should you choose to give yourself over to sin continually, you will then enter into what's known as a backslidden state. You choose to give yourself over to sin continually. You choose to ignore the leading of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so you enter into what's called a backslidden state. You have made the choice to withdraw from his presence. And if the path is continued upon, you will choose then, even already having accepted salvation, you will choose if you move further and further and further away from the presence of God, eventually you will choose to reject the gift of salvation and become to what's known as apostate. Now, what does apostate mean? It is people who are unwilling and unable. Let me say that again. They are unwilling and unable to repent of their sins. If a person is apostate, they are unwilling and unable to repent of their sins. Now, I've had people come to me freaked out. Pastor David, there's a sin in my life. And, 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 and Pastor David, I, 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 I need to get saved again. I need to, I need to, I need to get saved again. I need, I, 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 I'm lost. I'm apostate. Pastor David, I'm, I'm, I'm a lost sinner. Hold on. Hold on. Now, there's something genuine about wanting to, to being in a backslidden state and wanting to get your life right with God again, right? But there's people that I knew that they would be at the altar every other week because they were, they were in their house and, and, and they smashed their thumb with a hammer and all of a sudden a word came out, which wasn't a holy word, right? A bunch of perfect people, man. Doug, you know what I'm saying? Doug's on the board. He knows what I'm saying. How many know what I'm saying? There's times where, where you just go, oh man, I, I, just, I just messed up. I just messed up. For some reason, I reverted back to that old beast. That old sinful nature. For some reason, I reverted back. I didn't spend enough time in His Word. I didn't spend enough time in prayer. I didn't, I didn't build my relationship with Christ. And so now I find myself slacking. I find myself doing what I'm not supposed to. Do you... Have you ever been fearful that you've lost your salvation? There's people that would say, I'm I'm so fearful, Pastor, that I've lost my salvation. To them, I would say this, and to you, I would say the same. The first is this, repent of your sin. Secondly, lay your fear to rest. An apostate person, if a person who is unwilling and unable to repent, they would have no fear of being lost. An apostate person, they would have no fear. It wouldn't even enter their minds. When you feel convicted of your sin, that's the Holy Spirit calling you to repentance and it's calling you to holiness. And it's what we need in the church. It's important that you receive forgiveness and then move forward in your walk with Christ. Amen? It doesn't mean you're lost. We don't want to take grace for granted, remember? We don't want to take grace for granted. It doesn't mean you're lost. It means you need to repent. 
It means you need to come back to Christ. It means you need to come back and establish an intimate relationship with His presence. Paul shows us the struggle that we go through in battling our carnal nature. This thing that trips us up. How many many know sometimes it trips you up? It makes us believe that we are unworthy to be called righteous. Paul says all this in the next next slide. Go Go to the next slide. It says this. If you can, if you can read this and relate, then shout amen or something. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Nope, there it is. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present within me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is why I love to preach on this chapter, because Paul is very real about his struggle. Paul is very transparent about his struggle. The message version gives us a better understanding of this. It says this, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. How many can relate to that? So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good and I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad and then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong within me. And gets the better of me every time. How many ever felt that way? It gets the better of me every time. Paul says it happens so regularly, it's predictable. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and, le- and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Those things that I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. That's what Paul is saying here. That's how real he's talking. That's how transparent he is with us this morning. How many can be transparent in saying there are times where you go, there, the things that I want to do, I don't do. How many can be transparent in saying there, there are times where you go, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. There's a frustration. 
The frustration should drive us to repentance. Something is wrong and needs to be made right. Paul acknowledges that his old nature is in battle with his new nature and he is desperately crying for help. He becomes so desperate that he presents himself as a wretched man. He says this. There's a plea for somebody to rescue him. Go to the next slide. It says this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? These nasty, dirty chains are attempting to wrap themselves around me again. Who can deliver me? It's said by some that the wording of the body of death, this is very interesting, the body of death has possibly two meanings. One, it's a reference to a form of punishment. It said that they would take the body of a living man and chain a dead man to him. That they would strap the dead man back to back. The dead man would be on his back and he would have to drag him wherever he went. As he was strapped to his back, the rotting, putrid corpse would go wherever the living man went until eventually it overtook him. Some say that it was the body of death that Paul's referring to here. There's others that say the body of death is just a reference to sin as a mass. It's a reference to sin as a mass. All of its aspects and consequences would eventually poison him if something didn't change. If something didn't change, sin will mess you up. If something doesn't change, if there's no repentance, if there's no acknowledgement, man, I am a wretched man. I've accepted Christ. I love the Lord. I love His commandments, but I keep messing up. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I'm doing. The things that I do are the things that I hate. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It seems like Paul is just in this desperate, horrible place right now. But there is good news. Because when he says these words, when he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Go to the next slide. It says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. How many are glad to know that you are not lost to sin? How many are glad to know that even though you messed up and even though you screwed up and even though you're a wretched man and you have a body of death strapped to you, there is a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. I thank God it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The last words of chapter 7 are somewhat sobering. It says this, So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, here's the thing. I wish Paul had stopped on that last verse. Because that was like a crescendo. That was like, oh man, that's great. Jesus Christ has saved me. But he stops on this verse. Why does he do that? 
It's a reminder that until we leave this life, we are struggling against our flesh. Until we leave this life, we are struggling against our flesh. There's always victory. You can have victory. You have the ability to live in victory in your life. Amen? You have the ability, you stay in the Word, you stay in intimate relationship with God, you stay in communication with Him. I'm telling you, there's, we have an ability through Christ to live righteously. But it will always be a battle. It will always be a battle. And some battles you may lose. And some battles you may struggle. And some battles you may stumble. But I thank God for His Son, Jesus Christ. Our victory is not found in our flesh. Our victory is found in Christ. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Jenny, if you could come up. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. I thank you that even though we are imperfect, messed up people, there is still salvation. Lord, I thank you that we are justified when we accept your son. Lord, I thank you that we are made righteous in the eyes of God. Lord, I thank you that you are sanctifying us to make us holy. Lord, I pray over each person here this this morning. Lord, those who are struggling with temptation, those who are struggling with sin, those who are maybe in their minds saying, you know, man, I haven't really spent time with God in a long time. I haven't prayed, I haven't read my Bible in a long time. I find myself doing those things that I don't want to do. I find myself not doing the things that I want to do. I find myself just like Paul, as a wretched man. There's been battles in my life and I've just constantly lost them. Now that they've lost their salvation, but God, I pray that I, I pray that you would give them renewed relationship with you. I pray that, that you would draw close to them and they would draw close to you. I once heard a pastor say it this way, if you find yourself far away from God, it's not because He moved. It's because you moved. So Lord, I pray this morning that they would take the steps back to you. That they would repent of their sins, that they would reveal themselves to be messed up and wretched. They're praying that that you would deliver them from the body of death that covers them. This morning, we're going to take communion together. Lord, I pray over each person here. Before we take communion, Before you even go towards communion, make yourself right with Christ. Make yourself right in His presence right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be close to You. I've been been going back to that sinful nature. 
I need to be made right. I need to be sanctified. I need to be clean. I need to be washed in your presence this morning. I need to be, need to be washed with the word this morning. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we could have